This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Well, let's get to this this thing that came out today because they they announced that we've known this has been talked about for a while that they are going to that we as a as a country are going to we want to find a woman to adorn some of our money. We've got guys other than the queen, as I say, she's been on there, so let's not forget the queen. But other than the queen, we've had money that has been featuring men and male faces. And so the idea was, oh, you know what, let's move into the 21st, 22nd, whatever it is, century here. Let's, 21st century, let's, let's get some women on our money because that's reflective of the country. And so there was a, a call that was put out for citizens of the country to put forward the names of who they think should be considered. And in the end, there were 461 who were considered eligible. That's who, that's who came in. Then it, it was whittled down to a short list of 12. And then they brought it down to five today. Now, here is your question. If you're, if you're sitting in your car, if you're sitting at home, wherever you are, the only way this works is absolute honesty. Absolute brutal honesty. Because you can pretend that you are much smarter and much more worldly than you are, and that's fine. But let's be, let's be honest here. Be very honest. Of the five that I'm going to name, how many of these people have you even ever heard of before, let alone could tell anything about them? Viola Desmond, Pauline Johnson, Elsie McGill, Bobby Rosenfeld, Idola Saint-Jean. So I'll tell you what. I, there were two that I've heard of before. There were two. I've heard of Pauline Johnson, mostly because there's a Pauline Johnson High School in Brantford, which I'm familiar with. Ah, uh, see, that's how I knew who it was. <laughs> I read the description and I couldn't figure out how I knew who that was. And I've heard of Bobby Rosenfeld, mostly because I work in sports at the paper and Bobby Rosenfeld was an Olympian. So those two names I knew. And then I thought, okay, but you know what? I'm just go. I'm just the typical sexist middle-aged white guy, so I'm not going to know the others, but everybody else in this country is going to know them. I'm just an idiot who doesn't know the other people. So I started yes. asking around. I started doing a little research among women that I know of various ages, not just young, not just old. I started asking women, and guess what? None of them had heard of these women. Nobody knew who these women were. Viola Desmond. Now, I'm not arguing that they are not women who achieved they are. Viola Desmond is, she was a black businesswoman from Nova Scotia who challenged racial segregation. She was like our uh, Rosa Parks, they say. Pauline Johnson was a poet and a writer. Elsie McGill was the world's first female aircraft designer. Bobby Rosenfeld, as I say, was an Olympic runner. And Adola Saint-Jean was a Quebec journalist, educator, and feminist who fought for the women's vote in Quebec. So they are, I, 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 no argument that they are women who achieved, who managed to make a difference. I, I get that. That's all fine. But we are talking about putting one of them, putting someone on one of our bills. And surely if we're going to do that, they, the person whose face should be on our bill should be someone who, if not by face, by name at least, is recognizable to the broader public, right? I mean, do you, do you agree? Do you disagree? To me, that seems like a no-brainer. And so I started thinking through, okay, well, if I'm going to say that these choices are crappy, by and large, if we're going to say that these are choices that we really shouldn't be whittling it down to these five, there's got to be others. Okay, so who else 
who else would we consider? Who else could be someone who would be in the mix? What's another name that should be should should be considered? Well, I'll tell you the first one. Well, f- let me back up for a second before I get to that. Let me just back up and explain a couple things, first of all. Also, why I think these are bad choices. A, the anonymity, but B, let me go right to Bobby Rosenfeld for a second. Just for a second. Bobby Rosenfeld was an accomplished track athlete who won a silver medal at the 1928 Olympics, which was the first time women were allowed to participate, and she won a gold medal in the relay. But she won a gold medal in the relay. There were other women who were involved in that relay. Three other ones. Three other women. She later went on to be a sports writer and on and on, so I should love the idea. But the reality is, this is not a person that you can look at and say, even by any definition, by any remote definition, you cannot argue that she is our best Olympian, our best female Olympian. In fact, McLean's magazine just a while ago came out with their list of who are our best Olympians. And this list, by the way, came out before Penny Alexiak did what she did at the Olympics and in probably Rio. probably put herself pretty high on the list She already. would have put herself in the mix, for sure. But they had listed, among our best Olympians, Clara Hughes, who is a no-brainer. If you're going to... Now, I understand that they don't want to put living people on the money. You want it to it's be someone little, who's... It's a little weird to have to pay for something with your own face. It would be kind of cool, but yes, it would be. <laughs> but if you're going to choose an Olympian... To me, it's Clara Hughes, and it's an, it's almost a no-brainer when you consider, A, what she did in both Summer and Winter Olympics and what she's done since. But you don't want her? Then how about Haley Wickenheiser? Again, alive, but winner of, I think, three gold medals now Great, in the Olympics. Greatest woman, woman's hockey player of all time. Cindy Clausen. Tons of Olympic medals. And the obvious one that everybody would talk about, the woman who helped to, I think she either carried the flag or lit one of the, la- carried one she, of the torches. She lit one of the torches. In Vancouver, Nancy Green. Nancy Green, how, so you, you're choosing not only a woman that very few people have ever heard of, but someone who isn't even, according to McLean's magazine and many other places, by the way, that I found, isn't even in the discussion as one of our greatest Olympians. Not even in the discussion. And And this may seem kind of, silly uh to quibble with but a summer olympian oh i don't even i don't care no i don't i don't mind that no but but to me that's it's 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 sort of like when they took hockey off the five dollar bill it's like do you do you understand what our country uh what what matters to canadians because yeah it's great that she won the the gold and the and the silver in in 1928 It, it was great all of our olympians at this summer olympics but at the end of the day winter olympians are still held in higher regard than summer Olympians are. Of course. So Nancy Green, to me, is is an obvious one. And but yeah, here, that's that's absolutely why she should be there. But here's who here's a list. And now some of these are alive, and so I understand that, again, it's going to be frowned upon. But here are some people that you could have chosen who would have, I believe, been vastly better choices, not because necessarily their work was more valuable, but because people know who they are and there's a resonance, there's an understanding of why this person then would be on the bill. When you, when you see it, you would go, oh, yeah, she's, she re- reflects the Canada that I know, that I understand. Laura Secord, right off the bat, an example of someone, is, is what she did the most important thing? I don't know. But everybody in this country would know who Laura Secord is and say, okay, that's, that's, that's one I could get behind. Nancy Green, I said. Ellen Fairclough. Fairclough. How a Hamilton, the first, a Hamiltonian, first female cabinet minister in Canadian history. 
That one makes more sense to me. Emily Carr, if you want. How about Lucy Maud Montgomery, author of the most most Canadian book probably ever written, Anne of Green Gables. Lucy Maud Montgomery would have been another one you could put on there. I mean, if you wanted to, I know they wouldn't want to put a fictional character. You could have put Anne of Green Gables, quite frankly, yeah, that, on the money. That would not have gone over well. Bertha Wilson, who was the first Supreme Court justice. She's alive, but even Anne Murray, who, you know, I mean, listen, it's not everyone's style of music, but you cannot argue that Anne Murray is not symbolic of Canada. I, and I, so I look at, the, I, no, I just, I look at this and I think, okay, how did we get to the point where we've got five people that when you pick up a bill, you're not going to have a clue who this person is. And there's not going to be an explanation on there. There's not going to be something on there that says, oh, by the way, it's, um, it's Elsie uh, El- McGill, and here's what she did. No, it's just going to be Elsie McGill. And you're going to go, oh, well, whoever that is. You're you're trying. You're trying. The here's what's happened. Let me tell you what's happened. You have the country. You have a bunch of people who submitted names, and they said they got it down to a list of 461. But I guarantee you, many, 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 many thousands more people entered. It was just it was overlap, and many people would have put the same names in. So you had thousands of people who put names in. And what does this sound like to you? I'll tell you what it sounds like to me. This is the elite This is our elite with their nose in the air saying, well, you don't know who they are, but I do. And that if you don't, you are a little person. I I mean, (laughs) it's like if, if you don't know who these people are, well, you're a little peon and I am important and I know my Canada and I understand that... Idola Saint-Jean should be on our bill. Great for Idola Saint-Jean. If her family is listening, please, you're, you're, she did great things, I understand that, but nobody knows who she is. And here's the problem. Here's the biggest problem. And I was talking with this, in fact, as Jen Watson was coming out after doing the news wheel, we were talking before I came in, and we were talking about this, and I said, here's the issue I have with this. Whether we like it or not, and it doesn't necessarily give us the warm, fuzzy feeling to know this. But the reality is that Canadian women have not had over the generations the same opportunity Canadian men have. So it stands to reason that there will be fewer Canadian women in our deep, deep past that will have had the kind of impact that the prime ministers, for example, who are on our bills right now have. Now, we've obviously changed that in the last 50, 60 years. Things have changed dramatically, probably longer than that. So we understand that it's, it's, taken a t- it's taken a while for sure, but just be- because we don't have the depth of history with women doesn't mean you take one who then d- shouldn't be on a bill and jam it into, jam a square peg into a round hole just because we feel we should. Let's take the people who actually... And and I want to be clear, in case anyone is misunderstanding what I'm saying, I am not arguing against women being on our money. I am not arguing that. But let's pick the right woman. Let's pick someone who is reflective of the country, someone who people recognize, someone who people know. And I'll tell you one other thing, and we've said this on the show before. The really big thing that we're missing here is that unlike the states, where all the money is green, we have colored denominations. 
We have a blue five. We have different color bills. So you don't even need to see the face that's on the bill to know what kind of money it is. As long as you see a blue one, you know that's a five. Why in the world then could you not say, you know what, we're going to take our $5 bill and we are going to have a series of 10 different women on that bill who re- who represent 10 women who have done amazing things in this country over over time. There's, there is no reason we have to whittle it down to one, and especially to one that most of us will have never, ever heard of before. It's just, it's so ridiculous. We, we have, we've created this perfect situation with our colored money that we don't need to lock into one particular person. We don't need to. I, I think, though, this, is the, this would be the perfect opportunity to throw out all of the people that are on the bills and change it. Because right now, sure, you swap out the five and, and you put a woman on the five. I think that's what it was going to be. And I don't know. I don't know what denomination So then is. that's great. The five has whoever, which one, whichever one of these five ends up as the winner. But then the 10 still has a prime minister and the 50 still has a prime minister and the 100 still has a prime minister and the 20 has our head of state. So, and so why not? Why, so so again. now it's time. So I say toss them all out and pick, uh, how, how many is that? Five bills? Five the five most important Canadians that you can think of, men and women. But see, again, I disagree entirely. I disagree with the point that if we've got a colored denomination, so we know what it is regardless of whose face is on there. Let's say we take the five and we make that right now the, the women's bill. For, for just for the sake of argument, that, that you know, we, and that doesn't mean that's the only bill they would be on. But we're going to take the the ten women who have made a difference in this country and put them on that bill. And then on the ten, you're going to have prime ministers. And on the twenty, are we going to keep the queen? I don't know. Let's say we keep the queen. I don't know. And on the fifty, well, I don't think we should. Uh, I don't think there's any point to keeping the queen on the twenty simply because she's on all our coins. Well, so whatever. It's, it's not like we're getting rid of the queen because I'm not in in favor of of that. But she's on all the coins. So. But then we take the next one, whatever bill it is. We take the next one and we say this is going to be for our artists and performers. We're going to have a bill mm. that is for our ten greatest impactful culturally significant artists and performers. Now you're going to have arguments, of course, with all of these things. I understand that, but presumably, if you were to have 10 people on the 5, 10 on the 10, 10 on the 20, and even though we don't use the 50 much, 10 on the 50. There's 40 great Canadians that you could have on your bills. And even though, as I say, there will be arguments, there will be a lot fewer arguments because a lot of those people will find a place onto one of those denominations. It would certainly be a good thing for the Mint because then bills would suddenly become collectibles because sure. you're, you're getting special special editions almost. But the one thing that, that's crazy to me is I found this on the CBC article about these, these final five. We, there have been six women on a Canadian bill before, six Canadian women. Uh, they were on the back of the 50. Uh, when it was, uh, I guess, the paper the paper version we had just before the pl- this current plastic edition. And it was the famous five and a woman named Therese Cassgrain. I hope I didn't mispronounce that. And the famous five being the women most responsible for f- uh, fighting for women's rights in Canada. Not a single one of those six women made the final five. So they were important enough to put on the back of a bill, according to this... Uh, this uh, group of people that chose these final five, but not one of them was important enough to be included in the final five. And really, to me, because we have prime ministers and the queen on the bills, it should be at least somewhat related to politics. Because and 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 that's where you can find important women, women who fought for the right to vote, or 
and I had to look this up. I didn't know it. Uh, a woman named Agnes McPhail, who was the first MP MP ever, the f- first woman MP back in the twenties. Like that, those would be good choices to me. Not these five. I like. I, listen, I'm I'm a sports person. I'm all for. Uh, sporting heroes getting their due, I don't believe necessarily they belong on money. So even though Clara Hughes, Haley Wickenheiser, uh, Nancy Green, they're all great Canadians, I wouldn't put them on money. I, I would argue that if you were to go with the idea that I had where you would have 10 people on each denomination and you would have a variety of them, yeah, you could put Nancy Green on. But then if you did that, if that was how you were going to attack this, then you could put Bobby Rosenfeld on one of those and make the argument she was the first one standing by herself to me it looks silly because it looks like you're again you're jamming a square peg into a round hole by saying someone who wasn't one of our best Olympians wasn't one of our most well-known people that she is going to be the face of what of all Canadian women she's going to be the one she is going to be the person that we choose as the most significant Canadian woman in history and she's not even the most significant Canadian person in her field well that's it right we love to celebrate our Olympians when they do great when the Olympics comes around it's all about and remember how great these people were do you remember when CBC did a feature on her during the Summer Olympics because I don't no no I I, I just to me this whole thing is disappointing because it's a great idea. It's overdue. It's a great idea, but it just smacks of absolute that the political elites have once again taken over the, the idea rather than taking the thought from the people and the snooties and the nose in the air elites have once again decided who the really important people are because they're the people that we've never heard of, that no one else has heard of, so they can feel superior by saying, well, yes, of course, I knew who Viola Desmond was. She's the most inspirational woman of all time. Well, what is she? What was she? Well, of course, they would have looked it up. Don't, don't believe for a second that any of the people who were making these decisions knew any better than you did. But now they will pretend and they'll tell you, well, you know, you're kind of lowbrow for not knowing Viola Desmond. Again, she did important things. I'm not, dis- I'm not dismissing what she did. But you shouldn't have to look at a bill that you're holding in your hand that reflects your country and say, who's that and why are they there? Like as it is now, you may not understand all the ins and outs of Wilfrid Laurier. But you know he's a prime minister and you know he was a political leader and that's why he's on the bill and you know who that person is. And when you see the name, you say, oh, all right, former prime minister. I get it. I understand who that is. It's not even, to me, it's not even I look at the bill and see who that is. It's a person from another country comes and has to use our money. Like if you go to the States and you say who is this, 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 this on their money, any American could tell you who they are. And even, if they, if it, even if it's just to say president. And if they put Rosa Parks on their bill, for example, every American, if you said, who's this? And it says, it says on the bottom, it's Rosa Parks. Every American, I think every American I, would, would, be, hope so. would be able to say, well, I can tell you about Rosa Parks. Now you have Elsie McGill and you say, oh, I'm from wherever. Who is this Elsie McGill? You know what you're going to say? I don't know. And, and even, I don't know. even if you know the answer saying uh, she designed aircrafts and was an aeronautical engineer. It doesn't quite stand up the same as no. as Rosa Parks, does it? Or or some of the other women that they could put on there. Like, th- that to me is why it, there needs to be more importance. That's why one of the famous five would be perfect, because then when somebody says, 
who is this? You can say, well, this is uh, Emily Murphy. She was instrumental in, in getting women the right to vote you in know Canada. Who, you know who was not included in this? So it's a huge oversight. And who should be on the bill? Monica Shinar, first Canadian supermodel. That's significant, isn't it? No. And the bills would look great. <laughs> I'm telling you. Why not that? Well, Shania I mean, Twain. Who was the... Obviously, she's she's still alive as well, well but the first uh, woman astronaut. Roberta Bondar. She would be great too. All of these people. All of these people would be great. This, this... I'm sorry, this to me has just turned this thing into a farce. And they're going to come out with this big announcement. We're all going to have to supposed to be really excited that we now have a woman on the bill. And it's not about the woman on the bill. It's not about the concept. We're, I think we're all in favor, at least most of us are in favor. Yeah, let's have women on our money. Sure, what's the problem with that? That would be great. But somehow we've once again screwed up one of these things and whittled it down to something where none of us are going to be excited anymore. Or if you are, you've got to put on your feigned excitement. Love to hear what you have to think about this. Got to take a break. Radley at 900CHML.com. Send me a note. What do you think? Who should be who should be the female face on our currency? Assuming you're not going to use my idea of having a whole bunch of them. Who should be the actual female face? Who would be your choice to go on our money? Nine, or, uh, Radley at 900CHML.com. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. A lot of young people will look at anything that is online that kind of looks like it might be real and believe that it's real. So if you could put a story, if you could put information up on a website in a font, in a presentation that looks like it's actually supposed to be taken seriously, you will get a lot of people to believe that it's real, that it's truthful, that it's accurate. The study says that many kids, many kids, many young people have no skills at distinguishing between real and fake. 82% of these people in the survey could not see the difference between a story under the banner sponsored content, meaning someone paid for a certain point of view, and a real news story from an independent source, nearly four in 10 believed that based on a headline, for example, a photo of deformed daisies on a photo sharing site proved strong evidence of toxic conditions near the Fukushima nuclear plant in Japan, even though the picture was not actually taken from there. But because it was placed there, they believed this and they argued then that this is proof that we need to do something about this toxic situation. It is I think it's a it's a tricky one. It's a difficult one. It's a little discouraging. Joining me to discuss this, the managing editor of The Spectator, Jim Poling. Jim, how are you tonight? Good. Good evening, Scott. Thanks for having me on. Um, when you when you look at these numbers and you consider what this actually means, do you find this troubling? Well, it, it's very troubling. It's been troubling for some time. Uh, this study just reaffirms that. I've had a good look at this study, and uh, in fact, it, it is indeed student. It's a large sample. It was uh, 7,800 uh, students. So these are middle school through uh, college students. Yeah, so it's not all just elementary school. There are some older kids in this as well. Oh, there, there's, uh, there, there's older uh, kids and young adults, and frankly, this is the generation that is a digital generation, and they've developed their reading habits online. 
Right. And so when you see something then, and so maybe this is what ultimately you just touched on. Maybe this is why this happens. If you've gotten used to seeing things presented in a certain way as being truthful, when you see them presented in that same way, even though they are not truthful, you can't really figure out which is which. Well, I, certainly there, there's a broader issue here. So this study uh, is aimed at students, but frankly, uh, from where I sit, this is a concern across the spectrum. We're seeing this in, in adults. Um, increasingly, as people uh, get their news from social media sites, particularly Facebook, I hear day in and day out, people tell me about a story, and I'll say, that's interesting, where did you get that? Or where do you see that? And they say, I got it from my news feed. So what do you mean your news feed? Where? So, oh, well, you know, Facebook. So essentially what they're doing, uh, people don't realize it, but because of their habits, they're posting the information that they've liked, unliked. They've created an algorithm that um, Facebook, you know, with all its magic, has said, we're going to give this person this kind of news. This is what they like. This is what we're, we're going to feed them. So w- what happens is the person gets into this uh, vortex. It, it's actually called a, an information echo chamber. where they're just hearing what they want to hear, whether it's truthful or not. As, yeah, as long there. as it's got key words or, or, you know, words that the algorithm will pick out, it'll pump that out to them. Sure, and and people are, are now, uh, what we know about people's uh, attention uh, spans and reading habits, uh, people will say, I've, I've read a story, or I saw that story, and essentially what they've done is they've seen a line, or 140 characters, or they've seen a post, you know, whether it be, you know, Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or Snapchat or whatever it might be, and that becomes their news. Hmm. So... Uh, you're, you're not going to capture a whole lot of um, uh, values, all those values that we hold near and dear in the journalism world, in, um, I don't know, four seconds, 100 characters? <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough. Let me read a line from this story, again, from the Wall Street Journal. And this, I think, it goes to what you're talking about, but it goes to the concerns that come from this. Here it is. By middle school, preteens are online seven and a half hours a day outside of school, research shows. That, that alone is staggering. That was my editorial comment thrown in. But back to the story. Many students multitask by texting, reading, and watching video at once, hampering the concentration needed to question content and think deeply, says Yalda T. Uhls, a research psychologist at the Children's Digital Media Center at the University of California, Los Angeles. So to your point, if you see something that you agree with or that you like, it says here that we have basically or at least some generation has trained its brain, Jim, not to actually think deeply or try to distinguish. We just absorb it and go, that must be true. Well, sure. We're in a a new information revolution, and uh, people have have access to information like like they never had before. And the generation we're talking about, this young generation, um, I I actually have a lot of um, hope and, and place a lot of value in that generation. This is a generation that's, that's likely, I, I think anyway, the, uh, they, they have access to more information than any other generation in the history of, of humankind. They know how to find it. They know what they want. They know how to get it. Unfortunately, uh, our media models, too many of them are based on free, so they know they won't pay for their information. And that's part of what cycles this uh, this lousy 
um, lousy information that we're seeing out there. And, and I really mean that. It's well, if you have to get, and it's lousy. if people, if people aren't going to pay, then the way websites make money is with clicks. And if you, if you are required to generate clicks, you are going to put things on there that's going to catch eyeballs. And sometimes catching eyeballs means being outrageous. And that would necessarily not always be true. Sure. And it's, you know, it's, it's like going to the store and eating bags of licorice for breakfast and dinner. It's, it's cheap and it's really good in, in, you know, in the not so, uh, so long, long run. It's going to kill you. It's, it's not good for you, but it's cheap and easy and, it, and it's filling. Um, you, you'll see a couple things out there and you mentioned it clicks. There's, Many, many websites out there with clickbait. Now, I, I don't take issue with the digital model. Digital is, is beautiful. This information age we're in is exciting. Unfortunately, we're in a not, not a revenue, um, not an information problem. We have a revenue crisis. People don't want to pay for information, and that means they're getting lots of it, and they're getting lots of crap information, frankly, because the model is... The more you click, the more you're going to make money for Facebook or Google, and they've learned how to monetize this. So when you see that content, you know that, A, you're building yourself into an algorithm. You'll probably get more of it. Um, uh, you know it's likely not quality content, and there's some keywords that people should look for. It's called sponsored content, um, advertorial, or my favorite, I say, um, ironically, <laughs> sponsored journalism. And I see that over and over and over again. And what it is, it's, it's a clever way by people who are trying to leverage the hardworking values of journalism to appropriate what we do so they can manipulate the truth. Well, I mean, Mark's, Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook, for example, has said that this is, he recognizes now that their algorithms and feeding fake news is a problem and he's going to fix it. Do you believe that? Because, I, I mean, I don't. I, I look at this and I think that these, these sites, especially Facebook as an example, doesn't really care why you're coming as long as you're coming to the site. Yeah, I, I, you know, he, um, Mark Zuckerberg has, has other interests. Our, our interests, frankly, I don't believe the line. His, he, his stated goal is to become the single largest advertising platform in the world. And, and, frankly, and that means you have to have people come there. there. Yeah, people have to come to your site to make that happen. Absolutely. And so honesty and integrity and, well, not integrity, I won't use that word, but honesty and and accuracy of stories is really irrelevant as long as people continue to come because they find stuff they like. Well, and and the problem is that people will come to it and somebody will defend it by saying, hey, if we wouldn't give it to them if people didn't want it. Yeah, yeah. And I I don't want to be the prude sitting here saying, come on, eat, eat your vegetables, but come on, folks, eat your vegetables. So why is this? It's good for you. It'll make you a better citizen. It'll it'll help us all engage. And frankly, it's what the world needs today. It's a little more uh, people paying attention and engagement, and people reading information that's good quality uh, information. So why is this then a concern? Why is it a problem? Because Jim, I mean, let's let's let me play devil's advocate for a second. If I just want to go and find the stuff that I want to find, and I'm interested in seeing the things I'm interested in, and you know what, if I absorb a few things that aren't quite accurate, and you know, happen to believe they're true, well, you know, big deal. So what? What what's the what's the risk there? What's the danger? There's a large danger. We're in you know Canada and you know North America. Frankly, we are are fortunate. We have. Uh, quality education, quality health care. We have a standard of life that's far better than, than many, many places around the world. And we're not doing enough to 
uh, enricher knowledge. The danger with this is that we're being fed and we're believing information that's crap. People aren't being, I don't want people to be um, uh, cynical. I do want people to look at news critically and skeptically. I'd like them to look at the, at a story or a tweet and say, why is that true or how do I know that it's true? Has Have the basics been answered here, the who, what, why, when, where, and how? What is the source of that information? Who's telling it to me and can I believe it? Well, it also as, changes, Jim. It also changes the very, I think, the concept of truth. I mean, we now talk about it's your truth. But that, that, there's no, that, that eliminates the idea that there is anything, anything at all that is absolute. I mean, there are probably people out there right now who could argue that two plus two are not really four. I mean, if, as long as you're going to make it so that you can, you can take it as your truth. They, they can argue that. That's fine. But they're wrong. It's four. So let's, let's move on. No, and I, and, and I, 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 I understand I that. But if you're going to have the position that, you know what, if I just want to go and find the stuff that I like, that is my truth. And that right. makes any real truth flexible and pliable. Sure. And, and there'll be, you know, there'll be arguments, there'll be um, um, gray areas around political decisions or, you know, sports teams or whatever it, it might be where, sure, uh, th- there is not an absolute truth. But um, what we do in mainstream media, and folks, that is not a bad word, um, we, you know, um, you know, we practice those values of fairness and balance and truth and accuracy. They're old-fashioned values, but quality never goes out of fashion, or it shouldn't. And it's one of the reasons why I, I say to people, if you want a good quality news sites, pay for it. It's as simple as that. Pay for your newspaper, pay for your digital subscription, pay for your news. It is uh, it, it is troubling, and, and it's uh, it's something that again it, I think it requires the onus. Obviously, falls on us and, and everybody to actually look and find out if what you're reading is real before you go marching away from it and announcing to everybody that you've seen something that uh, that has changed your view of the world. But we we don't always do that. Jim Poling, uh, uh, managing editor of the Hamilton Spectator, appreciate the time tonight. Thanks. Oh, you're welcome, Scott. Thank you. Uh, here's the, here, by the way, is the other part about this, because this could, uh, some of you listening could say, oh, well, of course, Radley, you work for the spectator. This is very self-serving. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, I'm, I'm not for a second arguing that there is not going to be some bias in this from my perspective, because I want, and, and I'll tell you why, where the bias comes though. The bias isn't that I want you necessarily to believe my point of view. The bias is that I think that we as a society do far better when we can read things and discern when they are true so that we have a sense of what is true and what isn't true and what is accurate and what isn't accurate. I don't believe that there is no such thing as absolute truth. I think there are things that we can say are absolutely true and those become the, the anchors that we can hold on to and work from there. And if we start to say, well, that anchor really, you know, I don't agree with that. Well, here's the problem. So you go online. And you read something that you believe to be true. You've read a story now and you go, oh, that sounds pretty good. I believe that. There's a story that a dog sprouted wings and flew around London, England. As crazy as it sounds, there's a photo that goes with it. And so you looked at it and of course it's Photoshop. You don't know that. And you go to tell someone, hey, there was a dog and it was a freak. It was, you know, it was born weird and it had wings and it flew around and on and on and on. Well, 
what ends up happening is someone says, no, that's actually not true. Either the person is going to continue to believe it despite the the suggestions and the claims that it's not true, that they were suckered in and they don't want to feel they were suckered. So they still believe it's true or, and here's a bigger issue, they then turn around and say, well, then I can't believe anything I read. And so it becomes that they will not accept anything that is written down. Nothing is truth. Neither one. Everything is true is no better than nothing is true and vice versa. And that's, that's the problem with this thing. It sounds like, oh, it's just, it's just a, um, you know, it's a bunch of newspaper people and media people saying, you know, listen to us, not to the other things on Facebook. Listen, there's nothing wrong with going on Facebook and Twitter. The point of this story is not to say don't look around on social media and don't read other things. The point is our kids, and that's what this is, although kids is extending right up to university, don't seem to have the ability right now because of the way they've used social media so far, don't have the ability to discern, to look at a story and say, does that have the ring of truth to it? Does that really make sense to me? We just want to take it, ingest it, boom, it's gone. We believe it. That, that is difficult. That is really difficult and that is really troubling. The story, again, you can find the story, Wall Street Journal Online. Most students don't know when news is fake, Stanford study finds. Hopefully, if nothing else from this, you don't have to listen to me. You don't have to have my opinion about anything. I'm not offended by that. We can disagree. But hopefully the one thing you will take from this is it'll make you rethink the idea. When I hear something, when I read something, is that true? If I say something that you say, that really doesn't sound like it could possibly be true, don't assume that it's true. Go and look it up. Challenge me. I'm okay with that. I'm not sitting here on a high horse saying, you can't challenge anything I say. I'm beyond reproach. No. If, so, if I say something that you think makes no sense whatsoever, challenge me on it. Send me a note. Take me on. Radley at 900chml.com. I will take. I will listen to that all the time. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'd rather be corrected and right than not corrected and giving you wrong information. That's 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 not right. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from seven to nine on AM 900 CHML. This is a very big weekend in the world of football. We do have the Vanier Cup on Saturday, the Canadian University Championship featuring Laval against. Calgary. We'll get to talking about that in just a second, but the even bigger game down the road in Toronto, the Grey Cup game, Grey Cup weekend. It is just a gurgling pot of excitement, or so they tell us it's supposed to be. Rick Zamperin of CHML, who joins us now. Rick, are you are you in that? Are you gurgling along with the rest of the broth of excitement? You know what? My my gurgling has not commenced. I'm I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm planning to begin percolating at around uh, oh I don't know six thirty Sunday night. Around the same time that the chili has reached a full boil. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It is. Um, it seems as though we are supposed to be very excited about the Grey Cup by this point in the Grey Cup week, and I got to tell you, uh, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer, but. Boy, it seems like this year the excitement level has ratcheted down to about a one. No, I would I would completely agree with you, and I think it has a large part to do with you know some of the negative publicity that has surrounded uh, you know this this national championship game I mean, for months. It's supposed to be for months. 
yeah, for months. You know, not not just within the last you know couple of weeks regarding tickets. It's uh, you know the uh, the very lopsided East versus West um, uh, level of, of of talent and, and the records of uh, of the teams in both divisions. It's um, not necessarily the venue, but you know another return to Toronto just a couple of seasons after it was there for the 100th anniversary. Um, you know, Toronto not being competitive, uh, I think, has added a little bit to that. Uh, certainly in our neck of the woods, so with the Tiger Cats not being in the big game, that has uh, certainly, um, you know, lent itself to, you know, not being a, uh, you know, a number one uh, on the mind thought of many football fans here, at least over the last couple of weeks. Um, so there's been a number of factors, uh, you know, including, you know, a lot of those big ticket items that has hampered ticket sales. In uh, in the Toronto area, well, yeah, you talk about hampering ticket sales. Now, there have been giveaways of tickets. We're hearing reports that uh, employees of the carrier of the game, the network that carries the game, are getting free tickets. Bell is apparently getting free tickets. There was a story that has since been taken down that the CFL that at Pizza Pizza outlets in the Hamilton area, if yeah. you bought a large pizza, you got two free Grey Cup kit tickets. Which Rick, I I mean. I know back in 1996 when Hamilton hosted for the last time, the day of the game, if you went to Tim Hortons and bought a coffee, you got two-for-one Grey Cup tickets. But, man, that I can't imagine anything that is more humiliating to a professional sports league than to say, buy a pizza and we will give you two tickets to our championship game. Well, I think that is certainly the, uh, you know, if you talk about rock bottom in terms of yeah, uh, ticket sales, I mean, imagine, you know, I've, I've read some stories where one person or, or a couple, whatever, bought uh, a pair of tickets on StubHub. So, you know, we're talking secondary market uh, for upwards. I think it was $2,200. And, and this this uh, buyer was from the Mississauga area. Uh, so who knows? It might be family of a player or, or, or whatever the case is. But, you know, imagine spending upwards of even $1,000 for a family of four or whatever the case is and learning today that at <laughs> more than several Pizza Pizza locations in Hamilton, for $30, you got a large three-topping pizza, some pop, 10 wings. Uh, who knows? They probably threw in some dipping sauce. And, oh, by the way, here's two free tickets to the Grey Cup. Some tickets uh, I read were as valued as as high as two hundred and thirty dollars. Um, so it, yeah, you you talk about bad publicity. That that's probably the worst right there. I'm not sure. I, I think you're close to being right about that being rock bottom. But I think absolute rock bottom would be when someone said, "I'll just take the pizza. I don't need the tickets." <laughs> <laughs> that's that that's when you know that truly there could not be any lower for you to go. But <laughs> but you know the problem with this, and we laugh about it, and it is it's it's ludicrous. It's the height of lunacy. But the problem with this is you talk about this family or these people who have bought the tickets when they first went on sale. They are not only furious because they're not getting refunds, they are enraged by the fact that they bought these tickets, but when are they going to buy Toronto Argonaut tickets again? Because they're going to say, you know what, I'll wait till the last minute. Why am I buying early? I'll wait till the last minute. And now, how does the Argos especially sell anything? Yeah, well, I mean, th- this has really, I think, um, created a, a massive shadow in terms of their go-forward plan with, with any sort of you know, flex pack, season ticket sales, whatever packages they're thinking of for 2017 and beyond, because forget about the hardcore fan, because they're going to be there no matter what. And there's not many of them in Toronto, but those, uh, you know, off the radar kind of fans who are kind of, you know, debating whether or not to attend their first Argo game at BMO Field, 
they're hearing all these stories over the last number of weeks about ticket schemes and ticket prices and, and flashing prices. Uh, and they're probably thinking, yeah, I'll just wait to the last minute. Sure. I'll just walk up. And, and, and if you are, you know, a, a TSN who has spent millions of dollars, you know, trying to broadcast this big game on TV, there's a danger that there's going to be a lot of empty seats. I mean, fans might just say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to go to this game. Uh, and, and, and hence, you know, the, the big giveaways and the, and the big freebies. I think at least as much as the danger of the empty seats, and that certainly will look bad, is the danger that someone who paid the $2,000 is sitting next to someone who got it with their large pizza, and you get a fist fight in the crowd because someone gets enraged. I mean, and I know that, I mean, it's probably not going to, fights aren't going to break out, but you, if you got free tickets, it would probably be wise not to mention that to whoever's sitting next to you, just in case. No doubt about it. I mean, word of mouth is, is probably the greatest uh, you know, contributor to, uh, to to brand recall. You know, if, if you're sitting beside a fan or if there's a fan in your section who said, yeah, I, I got mine free or I paid, you know, this amount and it's, you know, a, a paltry sum compared to what you dished out, that's going to leave a bad taste in your mouth and you're going to relay that story to your buddies, your family members, whatever, and uh, that trickle-down effect is going to have a massive impact on, on Argos ticket sales going forward, I think. The game itself, uh, any chance at all that Calgary doesn't win this? Which yeah, is sure. which I mean, is the other part of the problem because it seems like so lopsided. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the numbers, when you look at the statistics, when you look at even the talent on paper, Calgary should win this game, uh, and and they probably will. But you know, you can't say that Ottawa doesn't have any chance because you know they've they've won uh, eight games this season. Yeah, they're under five hundred, eight, nine, and one. Uh, only five other teams have gone to a great cup with a sub 500 record. Only two have won the big game. So it, it is possible. It has happened. But when you stack up all the numbers and stack up all the variables and even throw in some X factors and tangibles and all that stuff, Calgary should come out on top, but you never know a strange turnover, a, a bad call or a non-call uh, from, from the officials, um, uh, you know, a key injury, who knows what can happen. So they do have a shot, but uh, at this point, I, I think it is slim. Yeah, I, I think if the game is, uh, now again, going back with all those free tickets, if this game is a blowout, and I expect it will be, I think Calgary is going to win by 25 at least, <laughs> uh, those free ticket people, especially if it's chillier, they're going to be long gone. So by the end of the game, you may have an empty stadium, but you're not really supposed to for a great cup. All right, here in town, we have the Vanier Cup uh, this weekend, and you know, as much as you don't want to keep the theme going it's kind of a similar story rick there's just it's been a tough sell there's something like seven thousand i think maybe we're up to eight thousand now seats sold but it it is again a tough sell why you know what this is a tough sell no matter where you put this game and, and, and the fact of the matter is you know if it's in hamilton if it's in toronto if it's in laval if it's in regina wherever the fact of the matter is that university fans, A, are going to be on a budget, and so will those families. But B, uh, you know, say you're a student uh, who's going to the University of Calgary. You're a big Calgary Dinos fan. You want to go to the game. You just simply can't afford to travel all the way to Hamilton. Not only that, but make that financial commitment or even have that kind of uh, forethought to say, hey, you know, this team might get to the Vanier Cup. I'm going to put aside, you know, X amount of dollars to maybe spend. It's so tough to predict whether your team is going to be in the big game, and it's so late in the game schedule-wise, I think, to make that financial commitment. So, you know, obviously, uh, you know, it's going to attract those hardcore fans or fans who have the financial wherewithal to make, you know, the big trip. 
but it's it's a really hard sell wherever you put this game. If there are 7,000 or 8,000 people in the stands and you see a lot of empty seats, do you think that looks like, though, a reflection of Hamilton or a reflection on Hamilton? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think that's a pretty solid number considering that you have two well out of market teams. I mean, we're talking Quebec City, basically, you know, Montreal, Quebec City, and, and Calgary, you know, so, so two uh, different provinces. You know, you're asking fans to come a long way to see one game. Uh, and, and again, you, you could have this in, in Toronto with a much bigger population, you know, tons more hotels, tons more things to do. And I think you probably still attract the same amount of people, maybe a little bit more. Um, but I, I think it's a pretty solid number. Anywhere from seven, you know, to 12,000, I think would be more than respectable. It makes me wonder if for two years, and it happened to be the two years that aligned with McMaster being in, the year they beat Laval in 2011 in BC, and then the year they lost to Laval in 2012 at Rogers Centre, where the Vanier Cup was in lockstep with the Grey Cup. It was held in the same building. It was held the day before or two days before, but it was tied into Grey Cup week. And the year that McMaster won in 2011, I think there were 24,000 people at that game. And the second year in 2012 at Rogers Center, there were 37,000. And Rick, I, I just don't understand why they don't look at that and say, that's how this works. That's the way this works. You take the game to where the football fans are and you somehow convince the CFL to tie in your ticket with a CIS or a U Sports ticket, a Vanier Cup ticket. That seems to me to be the only way this really works. It, it makes perfect sense to me, and, and for a number of reasons. A, all those football fans are, are already in that in that city to yes. attend the Great yes. Cup. There's you know a week long festival, parades, the whole kit and caboodle. Why not have the Canadian University Championship game in that same city? Because, your future. It's your future. Uh, yeah, a lot of these guys are going to be the you know the, the next uh, you know who knows what great player is going to come you know out of the pipe. The next Jesse Lumsden or the next. Uh, you know, an ex-player, you name it, uh, is going to come from a, a U Sports a university uh, program. So why not showcase it? I, I know there's probably some talk in, in years gone by that, you know, the uh, the university game was overshadowed by the Great Cup, but I think it's just, it makes perfect sense to have them hand-in-hand, hand, you know, the university football championship on the Saturday, CFL final on the Sunday. I don't, and, and the funny part about this is, I think the the side of this that would need to sort of jump on board would be the CFL because they would need to see the, the the value of having this added to their party. And I don't think that's a hard sell. I really don't. I think when you look at it and you say, "Listen, we're going to add add ten bucks or fifteen bucks, whatever it is, to every Grey Cup ticket, and it includes a Vanier Cup ticket." Not everyone's going to show up. But you're still going to have a lot of people. You're going to have the football media from the country. You're going to have the, the cameras. You're going to have everybody there already. And and as as you just said a second ago, this is the future of the CFL. So I, I, I simply can't understand why they took it away and why they haven't seen that that's the one way that this thing actually works. You know, when you look at CFL rosters, almost half of a CFL roster is made up of Canadian players. Um, so why not focus that spotlight on the next, you know, up-and-coming stars of this league. Um, and, and whether you're going to have a ticket deal or whether you can charge maybe a little bit more of a premium if they do want to go to the Vanier Cup, you know, final, uh, that can be included in the ticket package. But, you know, as we said before, all the hardcore, or even non-hardcore football fans, they just want to be in that football kind of realm, um, are going to be in one spot. So let's give them everything and more. 
uh, in terms of uh, football action. It makes, it makes perfect sense. Just before I let you go, uh, last night on the show I had Graham Brown, the CEO of U Sports, the guy who's in charge now of Canadian University athletics, football and otherwise. And now I understand he has to be political. He has to be down the middle of the road. But I was sort of joking with him saying, listen, with the history, everybody in Hamilton wants to see Laval lose in the great, in the Vanier Cup game on Saturday. They've been here so many times. They've won so many times. They are the villains, really. He said, of course, well, no, nobody wants to see Laval lose. Which, I, again, I find laughable. Do you think, am I right or is he right? Do you think people, do you think Laval is the villain in the in the Vanier Cup game because they've been here so often? Or do you think they're now so big that people actually say, no, it's kind of fun when Laval wins every single, or every second year, every year? I, I think, you know, sports fans are usually cheering for the underdog when they don't have a, you know, you know their team in the final. If they are, you know, a Mac fan, they're going to go for the underdog, and well, especially if you're a Mac fan, you don't want Laval to win because you've already lost to them and you've beaten them. So you know there's a bit of a rivalry there. But the fact of the matter is that you know uh, Laval has been there. They usually win the final. I know they've lost you know a couple here in the last number of seasons, but they're such a powerhouse unit, and, and you know Glenn Constantin has done a great job of uh, you know manufacturing just uh, you know a, a football program that is dominated from top to bottom. Yeah, they have different rules in Quebec, but still. They manage to get the job done each and every year. So I think going into this game, and I go, I think going into every Vanier Cup that they've been in, because they've won so many, I think they are naturally the villain because, you know, if you don't have that kind of rooting uh, feeling towards a particular program, you're always, I think, at least for me, going to cheer for that underdog. It is go- Both games this weekend are going to be very interesting. And, and I just heard a few minutes ago, um, Ticat fans will love this. I just heard you probably caught wind of this as well. The referee, you know who the referee is for the yeah. Grey Cup game? <laughs> yeah, the one and only Andre Pruitt. And you know who the replay official is for the Grey Cup game? Oh, is it Harbin? Yes, indeed. So the, so it's actually probably better the Ticats aren't in because Ticat fans would have a variety of different levels of aneurysms throughout the day leading up to the Grey Cup game, figuring the league must have it in for them to have named these officials. It's, um, uh, you know, here's the funniest part about it, is that all the Ticat fans, Rick, who last week were claiming that the CFL had conspired, or two weeks ago, had conspired against the Ticats to keep them out of the Grey Cup, that there was a league-wide conspiracy to knock the Ticats out. We've just spent the last while talking about how they couldn't sell tickets, how they haven't been able to sell out the Grey Cup game. What would have been the one thing that could have happened since the Argos missed the playoffs that would have guaranteed a sellout? Uh, well, that would have been the tie cats in the final. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. It's not a good conspiracy when the entire yeah. thing falls apart because it makes no sense whatsoever. However, yeah. there you go. The only thing worse on Sunday would be if Jake Ireland would have come out of uh, retirement <laughs> to officiate the game <laughs> to flip the coin, and it would have landed on its edge on the field. <laughs> yeah, Rick Zamprin, uh, you will have, I'm sure, lots to say about both games uh, Monday on sports, and we will be hearing from you down the road. Rick, appreciate your time. Yeah, a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. Uh, there you go. Vanier Cup, 1 o'clock on Saturday. Tim Hortons Field, as I say, there are still tickets available, roughly 16,000 of them, I think. Um, and uh, there are some tickets apparently on StubHub, well, a lot, not apparently, there are a lot of tickets on StubHub right now available for under $100 for the Grey Cup if you are so inclined to go and explore that. Or you can just stay home and watch. Both games are on TV, whichever you prefer. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.